Almighty and gracious Father, we thank you that you have spoken in your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and that you have uh, given us that true revelation in the person of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in Scripture we have the assurance that everything that is said is true, that it is your word, that it can be trusted and relied upon. Father, we pray that as we uh, study 1 John, that you'd help us to understand what you have said, and that by understanding what you have said, that we would know you more, that we would know you and the gospel of your Son, that we would put our faith in him, that we would love him, that we would be obedient to him. We pray, Father, that as we uh, reflect upon what you have said, that you'd be working in our hearts by your Spirit and conforming us to the image of your Son. Pray uh, that you would help me to preach faithfully and clearly and humbly. I pray for all of us that your word would have its effect in our life. Uh, For ultimately, it is uh, not uh, my work, it's not our work, but it is your work uh, in your people. So we pray, Father, that you would humble us and you would work in us uh, for your praise and glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, What do you hold to be absolutely, certainly true? What do you think? What what belief do you hold to with absolute certainty, with pure conviction? What fact is it that you think, yes, I can hold on to that through thick and thin? Now, perhaps in our world, isn't it, the very idea of certainty is profoundly arrogant. How can you dare say that you know something with certainty? Isn't that just so conceited to claim that you know the truth? To claim that you know the truth is to claim that other people might be wrong. (coughs) Or perhaps that it's not the arrogance, but there is a genuine uncertainty in your life. You, You recognize, isn't it, that we don't know everything. And we don't control everything. Uh, The path of history is marked with uncertainty in our lives. And so, well, it What do we know that is absolutely certain? We're not in control. Perhaps the world says to us, these are the two things that you can be certain of. And those two things are death and taxes. So if you can be sure of anything, you're sure that you're going to be taxed, and you're sure that you're going to die. But John has something very startlingly different to tell us. John says that we can have certain knowledge, we can have certain assurance, we can know something with absolute confidence and conviction, and that thing isn't our death, but it is rather that we have eternal life. Look down with me at uh, chapter 5, verse 13. This is how John starts. This is his summary, if you will, of what he's been trying to say throughout his letter. Verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants us to know with absolute certainty, with absolute conviction, that we have eternal life if we believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, Eternal life has been a primary concern of John. Uh, We see it at the end in chapter 5, but we see it in the beginning when we look at his prologue. So if you just skip back a page and you look at chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, 
Uh, John is there kind of summarized what his message, what his proclamation is. And, and he starts by saying, that which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have looked upon with our eyes, which our hands have touched. And what is that thing that he is talking about? It is concerning the word of life. And John is telling us that this is the central piece of his proclamation. What am I proclaiming to you? That which I have seen, that which I have heard, that which I have touched, and that thing is life, and I'm proclaiming that life to you. But he says a couple of interesting things about life. So look at chapter 1, verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, there is something very different here. There are two things that are different here to what we think of when we think of life. And the first is that life is by its nature divine. Whenever we're thinking about life, we are thinking about God. Notice in verse 2, the eternal life was with the Father. And we know, isn't it, that in the person of Jesus, the eternal pre-existent Son, eternal life as the person of the Son was with the Father. So life is, is about God, and it's about God's person, but secondly, isn't it, John says that this life was made manifest. That is, that, the, that eternal life has actually appeared in our world, has broken into the story of history, and that that life which was in the sun, people were able to see, people were able to hear him speak, people were able to touch him. Life according to John, is something that can be seen and touched because life is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, how does that intersect with what we think? What is life to us? Life is, is our heartbeat. It might be the biological process. We talk about the origin of life as being the, the progress of evolution. We think of it in mechanistic terms. But John is telling us that life is theological. Life is about communion with God. Do you have fellowship with God? Do you have relationship with him? And John is telling us that if you want to have that fellowship with God, if you want to know what it is to have life, then it is found through the person of the incarnate Son, Jesus Christ. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say before he was crucified? This is eternal life. What is eternal life according to our Lord? It's to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom God has sent. To have life is to have fellowship with God, and that fellowship is through his Son. Now, it's not just the case that 
the Son makes God visible to us. You know, God is invisible. He cannot be seen. And, and so the purpose of the Son is to make God visible by taking on our flesh. The taking on of our flesh is not primarily to make God visible. It's to affect communion because we are not in communion with God. We are separated from him. We are of nature out of relationship with God because of our sin. Why do we need Jesus to take on our flesh? Because he has to take on our flesh that he might suffer and die in our place so that we might be reconciled to his God and Father. The appearance of the Son of God in our flesh is so that we might have life because we need to be forgiven of our sin. And this was the purpose of John's gospel. When John writes his gospel, isn't it? He says, I write these things to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John, through his gospel, says, this is what I really want you to know. I want you to know that Jesus is God's king, that he's God's eternal son, and that through believing that, you have eternal life. Now, we know that when John writes his letter, that message in his gospel is under strong attack. There are false teachers who had snuck into the church who are undermining deliberately that truth. When we look in chapter 2, verse 20, uh, 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 22, beg your pardon. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. In the context of false teachers sneaking into the church and telling the church that Jesus isn't the Christ, they were, se they were separating the church from having eternal life, from having true communion with God. John is telling him, if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, then you don't have the Son. And if you don't have the Son, then you don't have the Father. And if you don't have the Son and the Father, you do not have life. If you want the assurance of life, it comes with the right confession of Jesus the Christ. John is telling his readers, let the message that you heard from the beginning... The message that I proclaim to you in my gospel, let that message abide in you. Keep going in what you heard from the beginning. Don't deviate. Don't go to another Jesus, a gospel of a false Christ. Don't turn to the prosperity gospel in our age. Don't turn to the Jesus of Islam. Don't turn to the Jesus of Mormonism. Don't turn to any other liberal Jesus, a kind of Jesus who would be totally cool 
with every sin that you could do. No, don't believe in the false Jesus. Believe in the Jesus that you heard at first, the Jesus that John, the Jesus that the apostles proclaimed. And this is the assurance for us that if you believe in the apostolic Jesus, if you trust in him, if you trust that that through his death you are right with God, that your death uh, has been paid for by him, then you do have the assurance now of eternal life. You have life if you trust in the Son of God. Now, do we believe that? Because I I suspect perhaps what was going on is that the false teachers were saying, you're missing out on something, guys. You haven't quite got the full picture. I've got something else for you that will kind of top up your experience, your understanding of Jesus. Now, of course, that's a supposition. We don't quite know that fully, isn't it? But we we see something of that in Colossians where Paul is attacking false teachers who say that you need extra knowledge or an extra experience to, to really know Jesus. Do you feel like you're missing out? Do you feel like you haven't quite got the full picture that your gospel needs to be added on to? Well, no. The message that you heard in the beginning, that is sufficient for you. The gospel of the forgiveness of your sins in the eternal Son of God who was made manifest in the flesh, that is sufficient for you. You don't have to add to it. Look at what John says in chapter 5, verse 20 to 21. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, that is the Father. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. The Son of God has also imparted to us understanding, true knowledge. That doesn't depend upon us. The gospel of of Jesus Christ is also imparted to us by him, that we have certain knowledge of him, and therefore certainty of eternal life. But what about this? You, You might also think that I'm really missing out on life. What does the world say? Live a little. What also might it say? Uh, You only live once. YOLO. Okay? Um, You should get a life. How many Christians, how many of you have heard that? Other people are saying to you in the world, come on, you're not really living, are you? You haven't lived until you've had this experience. You haven't lived until you've been to Hawaii. You haven't lived until you've done all of these things that we love in the world. Well, perhaps they're not sinful things that you want, but perhaps you're pursuing a better quality of life. Your struggle in the workplace is about getting a better quality so you can enjoy life in in more fullness. 
Perhaps you want your best life now. Well, if we locate our life, our, our enjoyment, our sense of real life, true life, if we locate it in the world, then we are very foolish. We have got an idol. And John tells us that very clearly when we look at chapter 2 of his epistle, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do you see that? If your experience of life, hey, I, I want to get a life, I want to live a little, I want to, you know, I only live once. Well, if you do that and you believe that your life is in the here and now, well, guess what? That's passing away. That's not the life that John is talking about. John wants you to have eternal life. That's his idea of real life. He's saying locate your life, not in the things of today, but in the person of Jesus. He is the true experience of life. He is the one who will endure. Your worldly possessions will not. And if you really believe that, then your life will not be a pursuit of those things, but it will be a pursuit of Jesus, knowing him more, loving him more. This is what enabled Paul to say to the Philippians, whatever gain I had counted... Uh, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Um, I got a, a small illustration so, can I have the, the slide? Okay, now, when I was at university, uh, we would have to go into a really big exam hall. It's an enormous hall, right? You've got hundreds and hundreds of seats. And what you do is you sit down, and you have to wait for 15 minutes before you can open your paper. And all along the wall are there these portraits, really big, austere, imposing portraits of like important people who'd really done something fantastic with their lives. And they kind of stare down at you and make you feel completely intimidated for 15 minutes as, as you think, these are guys who achieved something. And I'm going to prove in the exam that I'm not as good as they are. Now, you notice that all the people in the portraits kind of look something like this. This is very important to understand about British culture. The higher and higher up you get in British culture, the more you look like a pair of curtains, okay? <laughs> so you know that he's really high up when he turns into soft furnishing. <laughs> now, does anyone know who this guy is? Good, okay, that, otherwise my illustration would be void, okay? This man is called David Charles Maxwell Fife. Okay? Now, you know that he's in the higher echelons because he's got several middle names. Okay? So, David Charles Maxwell Fife means you're up the upper classes, uh, like uh, Timothy Charles Boswell Phillips. Okay? 
Now, what I thought when I was sat in doing the exams, I looked up at all these guys, and I thought, these are the guys who've really made it. They've pursued success in the world, and they've got it. They've, they've achieved the, the, the high standing in the world. And this man, he attended uh, Balliol College, Oxford. He graduated well. He went and he studied law, and he prosecuted in the Nuremberg trial. So he established international prestige and renown very early. And at the highlight of his career, at the end, he was the Lord High Chancellor of Great Britain the Lord High Chancellor. He was a powerful man. He was an important man. He was on intimate terms with the royals. He died in 1967, and 50 years later, no one knows who he is. Everyone in the room, no idea who he is. But his portrait stands as a, as a testimony of, of how far you can get in the world. And, and really, when you think about it, it's a testimony of pointlessness. You want to pursue fame. You want to pursue greatness. You want to pursue your own riches and your own power and your own prestige. It'll go when you're dead, and the memory of it will go within a couple of decades. It's foolish. Don't pursue the things of this world. Don't find your life in this world. Find your life in Christ. Don't be a fool. Now, the next part of what John has to say is he wants, he wants people to be assured that they have eternal life. But this life is not just for us, not just for me, but it's also for other people. Okay, it's also for other people. And I think this, this helps us to explain uh, what we're seeing in verses 14 to 16. So if you look at that with me, verse 14, this is the confidence that we have toward him. Okay, so, so now this is the confidence, uh, and John is going to explain part of what that means with three conditional statements, right? Three statements that begin with if. First one, if we ask anything... According to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Third, and I think the third is, is kind of explaining the first two, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. So let's just, let's just track that down, okay? So the first one, if we ask anything, if it's according to his will, then we know that God hears us, okay? Because we're in the Son. So God hears us, we're in the Son, God is also our Father, he hears us when we call upon him. And if we know that he hears us, then John is saying that we also, we have the requests that we have asked of him. So we ask of the Father, we know that he hears us, and because we know that he hears us, we know that we have the things that we have asked of him, those things that are according to his will. Well, I think that some of this, because it's, it's a bit tricky, isn't it? But I think some of this is explained in the farewell discourse of John's gospel. So John's gospel, like chapters 13 to 17, is where Jesus is saying goodbye to uh, his disciples preparing for his death, resurrection, and ascension. And we get many things that are similar with 1 John, but uh, Jesus gives us a few startling comments about prayer. 
So next slide. Let's get the posh dude off. Okay. John 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus promises his disciples that they will do greater works than him. That's very strange. But then we ask, what is this work? And, and we, we hear in chapter 5 this, the Father loves the Son, shows him all that he is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Greater works, verse, the next verse, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So what is the work of the Son? The work of the Son is to raise the dead and to give them life. And John is saying that, and, and Jesus is saying that for those who believe in him, in a secondary sense, we are also part of that life-giving mission. John Car uh, Don Carson says this, uh, explaining these verses. The contrast is not between Jesus' works and his disciples' works. So not two different works, but between the works of Jesus that he performed in the days of his flesh, that whilst he's on earth, and the works that he performs through his disciples after his death and exaltation. Uh, we see again in, in chapter 15, the next slide, similar idea. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. That, that is, it should continue throughout the ages. You will have eternal fruit so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And so part of the way that we love one another, John tells us, isn't it, we're commanded to love one another. Part of the way that we do that is we ask from the Father, according to his will, which is in the name of the Son, to grant life to his people. If we ask that of the Father and we do it in the name of the Son, we are aligning ourselves completely with God's mission for the world. He is a God who gives life, and he is a God who gives life in the name of his Son. So as we pray for this, as we pray for it in the church, as we pray for it for people who are outside of the church, that they may come to repentance and faith, John is giving us an assurance that God hears us and he grants his request. Those people who are his, God calls to himself, and he gives them life. There are three affirmations. I, I'm sorry, I can't go into the what is the sin that leads to death and does not lead into death. That's a, it's a rabbit hole that we could spend 10 minutes uh, in. I don't want to do that. I want to look at the last three affirmations in 18 to 21. We close with three affirmations. We know that this. First one. We know that 
everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. That's the first one. Next, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And lastly, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So, if we, are, if we have been born of God, then John says that we do not keep on sinning, we do not abide in sin, because he who was born of God refers to Christ here. He who was born of God, Christ protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. This is in perfect accord with what Jesus prays in his high priestly prayer. Uh, he, he says, um, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 10, if you want to look it up later, all mine are yours, all yours are mine. I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded and kept them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture may be fulfilled. And Jesus is saying here, he, he's praying, isn't it, that that God keeps and protects those who are his, because those who are his are also those who belong to the Son. And so we have a confidence, we have a reassurance that we know that everyone who is born of God does not persist in sin, because these are people who belong ultimately to Christ. They are God's people, they are Christ's people, and so Christ himself guards them and holds them in his hand such they cannot be snatched away from him. He does not lose any of those who have been given to him by his Father. Which means that when we pray, we pray with assurance because, because ultimately Christ deserves his church there's a way in which we can look at this and say, we, we, we pray, we want, we want someone to come to faith in Christ, and that is a good thing, it's a right thing to pray for. But the other way of looking at it is saying that, that Christ has merited, he deserves his people. He has won his people, and he has been given them by his Father, and he will keep them, and he will preserve them, because ultimately that is for the praise of his glory. So, brothers and sisters, as we pray, as we pray in accordance with his will, as we pray according to the name of the Son of God, we are praying that he would be glorified through his church as they are kept from sin and as they are abiding and being reconciled to the Son of God uh, and to the Father. We pray according to God's will when we pray for God's glory first a glory that is manifest when people turn from sin 
are, are, are forgiven of their sin and come out of death and are brought into the kingdom of life, into the kingdom of God's Son. I think that is the confidence that we have when we pray. So brothers and sisters, what what do we know? What are we certain about? What are we confident about? What do we have boldness about? Well, John wants us to know that you do have life in the Son. You have life, but it is only in the Son of God. He is the true God and eternal life itself. Persist in Him and do not be distracted by the world. Keep going. Trust Him, love Him, honor Him. Obey Him. Keep in the real Jesus. And secondly, this life is not just the life that has been given to you, but the the mission of God is to give life in His Son to His church, to all of us, and to those people who do not yet know Him. It is a thing that we pray for. We pray for the glory of God that will be manifest in people being brought out of death and into life. We pray that God will continue to work out that mission of giving life to those who are spiritually, spiritually dead. Those who are, do not know him and those of us who are walking waywardly uh, and, and appear to be in a life of sin. Brothers and sisters, this is the confidence that we have, a confidence that is in the Son of God, a confidence that is secured by His person and by His work, a confidence to pray to the Father, knowing that He desires abundantly to give us life and life in His Son. Let's pray. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Loving Father, we thank you that the eternal life that was with you for eternity in the blessed communion of the Holy Trinity, that that life has appeared and been made manifest in our world, in history, in the incarnation of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he has given us life through his death on a cross, making atonement for our sin and paying for the penalty that we deserve, which is death, that we might be reconciled to you and have life. Father, we thank you that we have the hope of eternal life and that that life is to know you and to love you and to enjoy communion and fellowship with you. Our Father, pray that you would keep us from all idolatry. Keep us from the world and its attractions. Help us not to find life in these things. Father, keep us from the evil one, that we would not sin against you. But preserve us in our faith and obedience, that we may have a growing assurance that we are your children. And Father, we pray for the glory of your holy name, for the name which you have given to your Son, that you would continue to give life in him to the world. 
we pray that we would be those who pray in accordance with your will, the will that seeks your glory, that you would give life, that you would give life to those who are spiritually dead, that you would give life to those of us who are wayward and wandering. We pray, Father, with the confidence that we have in faith that we are your children, that you do give life uh, to those who ask. Father, we do thank you for all of these wonderful truths. And we pray uh, that our hearts would not be set on our own things, but on you. Grow us, Father, in in the blessed communion that we have in Christ. And we ask all these things for the sake of your name. Amen.